It is Tuesday, March 6th, and this is the Weekly Impact Podcast. Welcome back, everybody. Um, today, I am joined by Jacob Kingsley, uh, Daniel Yelverton, and we have a special guest today, Mr. Mike Brewer. Uh, Mike is the discipleship pastor at Tapestry Church in Cincinnati that just started up. It's a church we hold near and dear to our hearts as some of our family members left recently to go start that church, and we're just excited to see what God's going to do there. So... Hello, Mike. How are you, man? Good. How are you doing? Good. By the way, if you haven't listened before, I am Brent Smith. Um, but anyway, today's chapter is First Peter chapter 3. Um, always remember that we read out of the ESV version of the Bible, and we'll go ahead and just jump right into that um, anytime you're ready. All right. First Peter chapter 3, verse 1. Likewise, wives be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, They may be won without a word by the conduct of their wives. When they see your respectful and pure conduct. Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of your hair and the putting on of gold and jewelry or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands, as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children, if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Finally, all of you who have unity of mind, sympathy, Brotherly love, a tender heart, and a humble mind. Do not repay evil for evil, or reviling for reviling. But on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called, that you may obtain a blessing. For whoever desires to love life and see good days, let him keep his tongue from evil and his lips from speaking deceit. Let him turn away from evil and do good. Let him seek peace and pursue it. For the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. And his ears are open to their prayer. But the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. Now who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for righteousness' sake, you will be blessed. Have no fear of them, nor be troubled. But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect having a good conscience, so that, when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame. For it is better to suffer for doing good, if that should be God's will, than for doing evil. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. In which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison, because they formerly did not obey, when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience, through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels, authorities, and powers, having been subjected to him. Okay, so that finishes up today's chapter. 
Um, we'll go ahead and jump right into it. Does anybody have any observations from that? Did any anything in the reading at all stick out to you that you want to uh, address right now? I mean, there there's a lot in this chapter. There there are a couple different topics that he covers. Um, but the first thing to understand is just like who he's writing to. It's kind of the context, and he's writing mainly to Jewish Christians at the beginning of the letter. If you've been going through the chapter a day, in, in chapter one, he says you know, to to the people of the dispersion, the people, the Christians who were in Jerusalem, who because of persecution were pushed out, they scattered across the known world. And so they're under persecution. And so uh, a big underlying theme through this is persecution, strength under trials, and then the end times when Jesus is going to come back and make things right again. Mm-hmm. So um, especially kind of towards the end a little bit as he's talking about suffering for doing good, um, I think when we understand why he's writing and who he's writing it to, it helps us put a little more framework to it. And I think that um, that understanding context is really important, especially for the beginning of the chapter, because I think that uh, when we read this through our cultural context, it can be really offensive. Uh, I mean, just the just the terminology that's used uh, for wives and their role and different things like that. Uh, but I think it's really important to understand that um, that Peter's writing to a patriarchal society, a society where this was primarily uh, was dominated by men. Mm-hmm. It was a society where women didn't really have any rights. They <clears throat> they actually couldn't even their testimony in court would not even be considered valid. Mm-hmm. So they had no voice, and they were seen as property more than they were people. And um, so, really, uh, what Jesus came to do is he he spread equality between all people, all genders. And, uh, and so this is kind of in response to the audience that he is, is talking to. And I think, um, and so I guess it's good to understand that context because I think we can look at this and see, see that this is really chauvinistic or, uh, very much, um, demeaning to women when that's actually not the case at all. It's actually, this was, this was intended to elevate, uh, women to the standard of equality, with men as co-heirs with Christ. Right. When when that first word, likewise, immediately I was like, okay, there's something more here than we even read. Because right before it, um, Peter is, is writing and he's talking about Christ. Um, he just says really quick in, in chapter 2, For to this you have been called, because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly, meaning God the Father. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. And then he says, likewise, wives be, you know, subject to your husbands. And then likewise, husbands live with your wives in an understanding way. He, like you said, he he's equating both roles in the family and calling them both to be like Jesus. Mm-hmm. It's not that only men get to be like Jesus in this religion, but it's that both people get to be examples of what Jesus looks like in life. Yeah, that's a good point. I think verse seven is the verse that really stuck out to me. In that, verse seven ends almost with a warning that says, "I tell you this so that your prayers are not hindered." I kind of have to take a step back as a husband and say, what, what, what is before that that, might, that I might be doing wrong that could be hindering my prayers? And, and I, have to, I have to think, am I showing honor to my wife? 
Am I am I living with her in an understanding way? And am I and and what does that mean to me? Does that mean that I'm just understanding of the fact that she's there and <laughs> she does things that annoy me sometimes? Mm-hmm. And I think that's not what Peter's trying to say here. I think he's trying to say that we need to understand our wives. We need mm-hmm. to spend time with our wives, pursue them and pursue knowing them in a way that's different than maybe the world would tell us we need to know mm-hmm. our wives. Mm-hmm. And in the same verse, uh, it says that they're fellow heirs with us. Yeah. So to me, that means, guess what, guys? Our wives are equal to us in every way. Mm-hmm. So yeah. God may have chose us to be the head of our household, meaning that we're responsible for what goes on in our household, but our wives are equal to us mm-hmm. in every way. And that's exactly the way Jesus right. looks at it. Tell me if if I'm reading maybe too much into just the terminology, but mm-hmm. when he says weaker vessels, that might be like, oh, yikes, like some women probably hate being referred to as yeah. weaker vessels, right? That was but, one of two things in this this section here that hit me that mm-hmm. I wanted to get to but, as well. But Go you ahead. think of, of the context of, okay, vessels probably meaning like just things that, you know, you hold stuff in. Back in the day, the more durable, you know, thick pottery chamber pots, like not stuff for honorable use, but it's the delicate, the weaker ones that are usually of more value. Mm-hmm. That it's the valuable things that in structure might look weaker, but they carry more importance. Yeah. And and I think that <clears throat> I think you're right. And I think that you can kind of look at it in different ways. And I think we can take it in different contexts. Mm-hmm. We can see weaker as less than right. or needing to be like um, I don't know, uh, taken. I guess like see, like kind of like you pat somebody on the head, like oh you're the weaker vessel. And and I don't think that that's being expressed at all throughout the Gospels and throughout the ministry of Jesus and the Apostles, it was very evident that they valued women and that this was a contrary to anything that was happening in the culture right now. And and I think not only is it the way you honor uh, something that's more delicate, but also I think what is shown here is that men use their power for their benefit in this culture and in a lot of cultures that still takes place, even in our own, I would say. Uh, and in this way, um, just taking the mindset of Christ, you can use uh, Philippians 2, just like uh, we were talking about in First Peter chapter 2, so the chapter right before this, of mimicking Christ in our relationships, is husbands, we're to take any power that we can have and leverage it for other people, especially our families and especially our wives. And so this is not in any way intended to be condescending at all. If anything, this is a charge to the husband— because for one, this verse is intended to husbands. It says, "Hey, husbands, this is your role. Use, uh, you know, walk with your family and understanding, honor your family, and use any power or anything that you have to leverage for the benefit of your family. And if you don't, like you said, Mike, there's a huge warning with that. I mean, it basically, when we mistreat others, and we especially when we mistreat our family, when the role that God has given us, that blocks." our connection with a heavenly father, which is crazy to think that the implications can come from that. Um, but it, it matters. Family matters to God. And just as much as the husband and wife relationship matters so much to God and our roles, especially since we're all here as guys, our roles here is to follow this because if not, we're going to have a hindrance that's going to be between us and our heavenly father. Yeah. And the thing that I took it as well is, I mean, I know it's not a popular thing to say in today's culture, but you can face the facts that typically men are stronger physically than women. And I took that in a way as saying, like, yes, your wife is probably not as strong as you, 
So if you are stronger than her, don't use that over her. Don't beat your wife. Don't treat her badly. And that's why it says, in my opinion, that's why it says showing honor to the woman is the weaker vessel. Mm -hmm. Like, that's how I took that. So, you know, I'm sure in today's society, people listening to this might get upset because I said that, uh, you know, men are typically stronger than women. But that's how I took that is, you know, show her honor. Don't lord that over her. Don't, don't, you know physically abuse her or anything like that show her honor show her respect um but then the other one that that stuck out to me as well is um in um verse three do not let your adorning be external um the braiding of your hair the putting on of gold jewelry or the clothing you do wear they're not telling you that if you're you know a pretty woman like if you're an attractive woman they're not telling you to cover that up they're just saying don't put the emphasis on that be beautiful on the inside like, that's what I took mm-hmm. from that. Mm-hmm. Right. So it, it's this interesting culture that there are in the church at this point in time, there are rich people um, from affluent households um, for whatever reason. And then there are poor people, um, just like all societies ever. Um, and so there were women that were coming to church um, and we see Paul writing to different um, local bodies about this as well. But they were coming, they were showing off. They were using it like a social gathering, like a project runway, runway, I don't project know. Project runway, yeah. Project runway, whatever, like a, a fashion show. And he's like, why are you doing that? You're drawing attention to yourself. You're coming to this local gathering so that way other people can see you when the point of it is not that at all. So he's like he is saying, focus on the inner beauty. Are you really beautiful in what is inside with personality sounds cheesy but then your your spiritual heart yeah. are you gentle and caring and loving and strong spiritually in your faith because that's what you should be adorned with and I, and I think that um, uh, I totally agree with that and, and I think what's the overarching thing is that when you treat others as the priority and you love others by the way you live your life you're gonna just look differently mm-hmm. you know husbands you're just gonna treat your wives differently uh, wives, you're going to honor and you know submit to your husbands differently. That means when you interact with people, it's going to look differently because you're prioritizing people over self-image, like you were saying, Jacob, or mm-hmm. uh, what you look like externally. Because, uh, and that doesn't mean that you just need to that you said should never ever do anything with your physical appearance. But as you prioritize people above all else, that shines through, no matter what you have adorned on your mm-hmm. face or body or whatever it is. And and so I think really. Um, the emphasis on the external uh, becomes less and less when we enter the kingdom of God and it becomes more about the heart and about loving people. Mm-hmm. And that is the thing, those are the things that should dominate our relationships. And actually those are the things that we should pursue above all else when it comes to interacting with people yeah. uh, in the family, but then also in the church and elsewhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and in this first part of chapter three and even back into um, the second half of chapter two is he's telling people in in different roles in life how they should interact and how they should mirror Jesus's life. Again, he doesn't give us a condition for that. He doesn't give us an out and he doesn't say, you know, husbands live in an understanding way, you know, protect and, and honor your wives until, you know, she does this and then you're fine. Or like wives, you know, um, submit with your husbands and, and honor him. But you know, if if he's not the right type of guy and you just, you know, you don't have to love anymore, then I totally get it and you're fine. It's unconditional that we should live like Jesus in all situations, no matter the response. 
And that's modeled by Jesus, like what I was reading earlier. People were accusing him. People were lying about him. And he didn't change how he lived. He let the judgment and justice be left up to God. Mm-hmm. It's interesting. I, I can't I can't recall the, the reference right now, but there's the, the verse that says, what? Wives, submit to your husbands, and husbands, lay down your life for your wife, like Jesus did for the church. And I heard a pastor say one day, wives, be the wife that's worth submitting to. Husbands, be the husband that's worth laying your life down for. Hmm. And if we would think of it, yeah, I said that wrong. If, a- we, if, if we would think of it that way, <laughs> mm-hmm. then, then, you know, and thought, think about what we're doing first, it would make a lot more sense. And I think people would would understand each other better in these relationships. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think uh, one observation that I that I have from the second half of the chapter is basically the chunk from verses thirteen to seventeen. It's talking about suffering um, for good, um, but also in there it talks about always being prepared to make a defense or to have an answer. A defense sounds almost a little aggressive, but some other versions translate answer. It's basically be able to respond for what to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. So again, that's a testament to how we're living. If we're living, we should be living with hope on display mm-hmm. that people should be able to see it all the time. And people should wonder what is different about us. And then he says, yet do it with gentleness and respect. So to all of you Facebook soapboxers, this verse is for you. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I think, uh, Jacob, I, I love what you sort of talk about with the uh, emphasis on the reason for the hope that we have, because a lot of times we talk about the things that we need to defend when it comes to Christianity, and not often is hope on the number one part of the list. Here's something that might hit real close to home. In the past two or three weeks, how much time comparatively have you spent defending the hope that you have in Christ Jesus versus defending the Second Amendment? versus defending a political view. In your words and the time that you've thought about it, take an inventory. And it might be scary to see how lopsided it is. Yeah, it, because it, I think we can we can get very passionate about ideologies and ideas and even just um, wanting to be right. Mm-hmm. And really, this is nothing about defending uh, a right point of view. It's defending something. It's a hope. Uh, and so for uh, for us, yeah, as believers, we need to be fixated on not only putting hope on display, but also when somebody gives a chance to ask. And I think what's, what's interesting is that somebody's going to ask uh, based on if you're living a life that uh, is centered around the hope of Christ, uh, somebody's going to ask something about your life because it's different. You know, there's they're not going to ask you a question about the reason you hope you have if you're just like everyone else. Mm-hmm. You know, there's going to be a difference that's going to happen, and you don't necessarily use it as an opportunity to uh, vindicate your point of view, but instead you, you do it with gentleness and respect, knowing that even then conveying the hope is only important if the person is able to receive the hope. Mm-hmm. You know, so if you can't convey the hope that you have into a position where someone else can receive the hope, then work back onto the gentleness and respect part, honoring the person that you're talking to in a hopes that you might be able to introduce them to the hope. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And, and there will be people who ask us about the hope in an antagonistic way. 
um, that they are wondering what is different in our life, but it comes across to us as very harsh. And, and Peter just tells us straight up, he says, when you are slandered. He knows that if we live in this hope, that people will mock us. People, you know, will say that Christians are believing in fairy tales, they're believing in nothing, they're wasting their life, whatever that may be. And then he, he goes on, though, that, you know, how we respond, how we live our lives when we are slandered may put them to shame. And I think sometimes we're like, okay, that's our job, too. We need to put these people to shame. And that's not our place at all. It's not our place to shame people, to make people know that they're wrong and we're right. Like you were saying, this isn't even about defending ourselves. It's not that at all, that we're supposed to defend the hope that's in Jesus and eventually when they see that hope, they'll be like, why did I ever stand against that? Why did I ever think that wasn't the way that it was? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that goes back to from yesterday's reading in verse 11. It says, Beloved, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passage of the flesh, which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God mm-hmm. on the day of visitation. Mm-hmm. And I, and I think that really it centers and hinges around what we talked about when it takes the mindset of Jesus who, uh, even though they hurled insults at him, he, he tr- entrusted justice to yeah. to God. Because I think if, until we are able to um, take what people say to us, whether it's venomous or slanderous, or see the things kind of going on around us and figuring out how we're going to respond to the tragedies that we see around our world, if we don't entrust justice to God, then we're going to have to figure out who's going to enact justice. You know, there's so much emphasis on um, on lawmaking as being a solution. And unfortunately, uh, lawmaking can't enact perfect justice. Now, that's mm-hmm. the burden of lawmakers. They need They need to be just. That's the commission that... Uh, God gives all authorities that they need to be just and honorable because God's established them. Mm-hmm. They don't always do that because they're made of they we're people, and injustice unfortunately runs rampant in the human race. And so, in those times when injustice flares up, whether it's against us personally or whether we see it, we have to entrust justice to God, or that burden is going to fall mm-hmm. on us. And when it falls on us, then that creates an us versus them mentality that mm-hmm. creates, I've got to punish somebody for what mm-hmm. they've done, whether it's to me or whether it's to somebody I loved or some injustice that I see in the world, someone has to be punished for this. Mm-hmm. And when Jesus said, I'm going to willingly go to the cross, I'm going to take all the injustice in the world and put it on myself. He did it with that willingness. He was able to even forgive the people on the cross when they were doing the most awful injustice. I mean, we see terrible things. Mm -hmm. The grossest injustice that could ever happen was Jesus dying on the cross. But instead, he entrusted God who enacts perfect justice and who is always going to judge fairly. And I think that there is such a powerful thing when us as believers can kind of take our uh, personal bent for justice, which I think is God-given, and entrusted to God. Mm-hmm. God God put in our hearts justice because we were made in the image of God and God desires justice. And, and instead of us trying to 
to put it, that burden on ourselves, place it in the hands of God, and entrust everything mm-hmm. to Him, and allow Him to do it in His timing, uh, because then we can separate the situations from the people, and then we can start to love the people that have actually hurt us. We can love our enemies, pray for those who persecute us. We can uh, we can see that the people that are doing terrible things that to other people that God actually still loves that person mm-hmm. and wants to be reconciled to them mm-hmm. and wants them to experience His hope. And so we, I think, we fail to show hope when we fail to give God justice yeah because if we don't then then hope is is only really dependent on us enacting justice if we don't give justice to god mm-hmm. and, and so i think that that's a huge hinge to um not only this book but also to our lives uh, because uh if if i can forgive somebody truly forgive somebody uh and that shows hope to somebody else that process of forgiving was really me giving God mm-hmm. justice yeah. and entrusting it to him and allowing him to take care of that. And so then my obligation then is to still is to distance myself from the act and just love the mm-hmm. person that's in front of me, regardless of what they've done. Yeah. Yeah. I've seen the movie Black Panther twice, and I promise this is related. There's a moment where um, people in his kingdom are, are trying to get the king to do something. And he basically says, like, I will not be the judge, jury, and executioner. And that's like a pretty common phrase, right? But I think so many times something happens in our life where there's an injustice that we see or to us. And we say, you know what, God, I'll, I'll help you out. I'll be yeah. the jury. You know, I've decided that they are guilty of this. Mm-hmm. Or we say, you know what, God, I'll, I'll help you out. I'll be the judge. And I'll, I'll, I'll let you know what they deserve for this punishment. Or we go, you know what, I'll help you be the executioner. I'll help them get their punishment. Yeah. And we know we aren't helping God, but we're like, you know what, this is justice. Justice is good. Justice is something that God loves. And so I'm actually doing my duty, but that's not our role. Yeah. Like yeah. What I think saying. sometimes it's hard for us to realize God doesn't need us. <laughs> right. <laughs> He's going to use yeah. us, but he doesn't need us to step out and, and, and try to rep for him. It's just not him. He just yeah. doesn't need that. Yeah, mm-hmm. and and we have to realize too that every single one of us has a different concept of what justice is. So who's to say which one of us is right? And I think in today's world, and not to get into anything specific, but I think it has become so much of a us against them mentality. I think to go into application even more is just we need more of Jesus in the world. We need more of an understanding of this in the world because I think, you know, you were listing multiple things that could come from this and, and good that could come from it. I think another one that is very much needed right now is the ability to have that understanding that everybody's concept is different and you're not necessarily right all the time or any time, really. And I think it would help bring back um, civil conversations between people who have opposing viewpoints. I think we need a lot more of a return to the ability to have conversations with people who believe differently than you without just devolving into name-calling and anger, Mm -hmm. you know? I think that would help a lot. Well, and I think what you see with the character of Jesus here is that even though he was right, being right and proving to the people that when he was dying on the cross that he was the Son of God wasn't the goal. The goal was to save people, not to prove that he was right. Yeah, mm-hmm. And so and I think when we try to prove that we're right, we end up doing the opposite and we push people away instead of drawing people in and drawing people close. And, and so and, and but I think because, I mean, yeah, I mean, Jesus had every right 
to exercise authority, to even exercise his wisdom and knowledge. I mean, mm-hmm. we think that we're smart sometimes when we have this really good perspective on things, but it's so limited. We don't even know what's going on in people's hearts and minds, and we don't even really even know what's going on in our own head half the yeah. time. You know, but we think we've got this really, in, you know, intelligent perspective, and we can really see what's going on here. And let's be honest. How often have we really been passionate and said something and been totally off basis because we've had the wrong perspective, the wrong information, or we were just wrong? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Jesus has every right perspective, every uh, available wisdom in the entire universe and more, and he's totally right and justified, and he still just says, all right, I'm just going to die. I'm going to die. I'm going to allow injustice to take place even though it's against my character and nature i'm going to allow it to because there's something more important in the balance and that is the people that are right in front of him killing him yeah that is more important to jesus and so when we get on these these rants or when we go like jacob was saying on facebook and we start to vilify people or we we create division or we create distance between our point of view and people with other point of view we've totally missed we've totally missed the objective of the cross of the gospel is to draw people all to Jesus, draw all people to him, to break down every wall and every division and hostility that is between all nations, all people, to draw them all to Jesus. Yeah. Well, I was just going to say, is it not um, Jesus taking that advice that we were talking about as well of giving justice up to God, where in that moment where he had the, the ability to just you know come down off the cross and, and mm-hmm. do what he wanted to, he submitted to God's plan. He knew that he had to go through this for God's plan to be achieved. And he thought, I mean, I can't say what he thought, but I'm, I mean, it would appear that he thought, you know, you know better than I do, Father. I'm going mm-hmm. to submit to your plan. Just the same as you were saying, well, we should give that justice up to him. Yeah, and guys, and that's, that just speaks to the love of Christ right there. Yeah. Yeah. We, we think at times that we have to have a fight or we have to prove somebody wrong or tell them their ideology is wrong when... Our example has been sitting here the whole time, and what he did was laid down his life for us and served us. And that's what he expects us to do for other people, not tell them that they're stupid or, they're, or how to vote. Yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, we, we've, had, we've had presidents and Congress and Supreme Courts at the same time who all said they agreed with issues that we've, we hold pretty close to our hearts. And guess what happened? We didn't get the result we wanted to. Mm-hmm. So on top of the fact that putting our hope there makes no sense, we have to look at the fact that trying to win that argument maybe isn't really what we're here to do. Maybe mm-hmm. it's to serve and love those people mm-hmm. and show them who Jesus was. Yeah. You just said something, Mike, and it's just made me think about um, challenging what we identify our hope to actually be in. Because I think that we will defend the things that we hold very dear. And so let's just say if I'm going back and looking at my Facebook posts or the conversations that I've had with people, what does it look like? What am I really putting on display as far as what I'm hoping in? Am I hoping in our government to save us? Because if I am, then I'm going to defend that and I'm going to push towards that and I'm going to hold on to that with all cost. You know, am I hoping that I'll finally be happy and with relationships. And so I'm going to then pursue happiness above all else, maybe against the needs of my family or the needs of my spouse. Uh, what are you hoping in? 
Because if you're hoping in Jesus, then your life is going to look very sacrificial, very people-oriented, and you're going to look to leverage your power and serve other people. Now, if that's not the way your life looks like, and I will go ahead and say that my life doesn't always look like that, and so I'm not, I'm not talking from one level down to other people. I struggle with this all the time. But I think that's a good question to ask is like, are you really hoping in Jesus or are you hoping in something else? Because what you're defending and what you're really pushing for and what you're prioritizing will ultimately bring to light what you are actually hoping in. Mm-hmm. On that note, Mike, would you like to close us out in prayer? I would love to. Thank you. Father, I appreciate your word, and uh, I appreciate the fact that this church is making it a priority that the word is read and word is understood and they're taking the time to talk about it every week and they're encouraging people to have their groups and talk about it in those groups and I just am thankful that this word that you've given us changes us and blesses us and I and I pray that as we, we've dug into this today it wasn't just conversation but the things we've talked about like honoring our wives and understanding them that we use this as something to check ourselves with and to daily evaluate how we're treating our wives and to daily evaluate how we are using what you've given us when we're out in the world and we're talking to people and I just lift up the, the this whole time God let us learn from your word let our hearts be changed from it and uh, that's it God thank you and I pray this in Jesus' name, Amen. Amen. Um, one, one more thing too. Um, uh, we had uh, we had Spencer uh, on the podcast uh, a little while ago, and we had a chance to pray uh, for the church launch. And we're excited to say that you guys launched this past Sunday, which is super awesome. We are really, really excited for you, uh, Mike. And uh, Mike's actually stepping up and doing uh, the discipleship and the group uh, roles at. Uh, tapestry church and so uh we i just love to take some time and just pray for your guys's movement and just bless you guys in that if that's cool i'd love that yeah okay. as a as a little clue in we record our podcast beforehand so it hasn't launched at the date when you hear this it will have launched so we want to pray for the launch as well yeah so it's kind of uh we're praying in anticipation for the future of to come and not just this sunday because you guys just launched but also for all the Sundays to come because this launch is not just an event. This is a beginning of something mm-hmm. amazing that God is doing in the heart of Cincinnati. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. It is. Yes. So well, let's pray for you, man. Uh, Heavenly father, I just thank you so much for my brother Mike here and just his um, willingness to say yes to the calling uh, to step out and to pursue uh, people to help them follow Jesus. Uh, and Lord, I just pray that you would bless the Tapestry Church movement, God. I pray that they would um, just experience uh, your favor and your goodness and your face shining upon them. So, God, we just thank you so much uh, for what you're doing in this ministry. And, Lord, we know you have an amazing future and destiny for this church. Uh, And so, God, I just I pray that there would be so many lives impacted by the love of Jesus and that the love of Jesus would be seen in every single person that comes uh, to Tapestry, and then that they go out and be the church uh, in Cincinnati and in the surrounding areas. God, I pray that a movement is started, and it is unshakable, and it just it just tears down all of the 
spiritual strongholds that people are holding. Uh, God, I pray that people are set free in the name of Jesus through this ministry. So we thank you so much for them, and we thank you for their willingness to say yes and to go. Uh, We love them, and it's in your name we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you. All right. That finishes us up for another episode of Weekly Impact Podcast. Um, I'd like to thank Mike Brewer for joining us today. Thanks for having Um, me. Yeah, absolutely, man. Anytime you want to come back, just let us know. We'll get you on. Love that. It's my favorite podcast. So. Oh wow! Thank you so much. (laughs) Go write us a review. Yeah. (laughs) But uh, if you're listening today, we thank you so much for joining us. Um, For everybody here at the church, for everybody here at the podcast and around the table, I just wanted to say thanks for listening, and please go share the word of the podcast if you would, because that's what we want: is people to hear more of the word of God. So uh, I am. Brent Smith and for Elevation Community Church. We'll talk to you next week. 10 for over an hour.